is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And in today's episode, an update from South Africa's exponential growth marvel, Naspers. Squeezing your way into the diary of Naspers Chief Executive Bob van Dijk is a lot more challenging nowadays. As the company's investments have flourished, so too has the demand on the now 45-year-old who succeeded Kurs Becker as a group CEO. He did that four years ago. But results time opens a window, and today I managed to grab half an hour with Van Dijk and Naspers Chief Financial Officer Basil Skodos. What follows is a fascinating half hour with the men who run a business that is so dominant amongst JSC listings that it now accounts for a chunky one-fifth of the equity portion of South African retirement funding. I am Bob van Dijk, CEO of Naspers. And I'm Basil Skrubos, the CFO at Naspers. Thank you for your time today, gentlemen. Maybe we can start off with the financial results for the uh, financial year uh, to the end of March. Basil, you'd be the man to talk to this. The, the numbers as you release them, there's still some confusion. Revenues were up almost 40%. Uh, core headline earnings up by more than 70%. Uh, what, is, what does that actually encompass? What parts of the group does, does that uh, account for? Sure. Thanks, Alex. So we, we internally, for management purposes and for public reporting, we like to focus the market on what we, talk, what we call economic interest numbers. So what we do is we take 100% of the revenues and profits of our subsidiaries and then our proportional share of our associates and joint ventures. Um, and the reason we do that is quite straightforward. One, the role we play, whether we are a controlling shareholder or a smaller shareholder, is fairly similar. We get involved with our founders, we partner with them, we back um, and we help them grow their businesses. Two, we want the market to get a real feel of the underlying financial drivers of our non-consolidated investments. And if we follow pure IFRS accounting, then all you would see is one line. So you wouldn't get a feel for what the revenue engine is doing in those investments and what the profit engine is doing. So we encourage the market to focus on the economic interest numbers and effectively represents our share in the underlying businesses across the board. Are they starting, are analysts starting to look at those numbers? Yes, they are. So so the analyst community are on it. Um, We're trying to get the press there too. And um, we've actually now just started sort of circulating a brief update so that people can understand why we, why we report things in a particular way. Bob, you went to New York in December for the first time to have an investor day with uh, U.S. analysts, presumably to also tell them your story. Has it had any impact? I would say that the investor day was, was well received. I think we, uh, we had it as, as a purpose to really explain to our investors that we are at an inflection point. We've been investing in e-commerce businesses like classifieds and online food delivery and payments for a number of years. But these businesses have become sizable and classifieds, for example, has, has turned profitable in the, in the year that was. And I think that we really wanted to, uh, to make a reality for investors that we were at this inflection point where they can tangibly see these historic investments translate to great businesses. But the, the question for investors, and we'll get into some of the meat now, is that you're still trading at a substantial discount to 10 cent. What's the latest number, Basil? Well, it depends on how you compute it, and the range is wide. So it can be anything between 35 to 45 percent. 
it is a little bit higher now, driven again by market factors. Look, at the end of the day, that discount matters to our shareholders and it greatly matters to us. Um, the key things that we're doing around it are, one, is making sure we build great businesses, growing our profits, growing our revenues, growing our cash flows, and you've seen this in, in this year's numbers. It's one of our strongest set of financial results in, in the 20 years that I've been with the group. So um, it's a very strong set of numbers, and we hope to stay on that path. The second thing is with things like our investor day and so forth, we continue to engage with our shareholders to show them the great businesses we're building. We, we, we've called out the great returns that we're creating. So if you look at our current portfolio and you look at the money we've invested versus the value that the market puts on them, it's, it's an implied 23% IRR. And then we're actually able to demonstrate how we lock that in. So with the pending sale of Flipkart, that's 32% locked in, in on the books. Now, what causes this discount is a structural issue. It's our size on the JSE. And um, we need to try and think how we address that. And there is no easy fix. So we need to be quite methodical and careful about what we do. There's lots of work going on. And we'll continue on this trajectory. So we'll take some action. We'll continue to remain focused and disciplined around capital allocation, scale our e-commerce businesses. We've got lots of capital now to go and invest around our core opportunities and make e-commerce a bigger part of the portfolio. And in time, the value will come through. What you can't ignore is consistent growth in profits, cash flow, and profitability and returns ahead of your cost of capital. In time, the market will recognize that, we believe. And, and as long as we continue to remain focused and disciplined around how we structure the group and move forward. Bob, you made the point that classifieds has now turned profitable. Uh, other parts of the businesses are also doing well, throwing off a lot of cash. So why do you need all this money that you've cashed in the, the, the shares from Tencent and now the Flipkart uh, uh, sale? Yeah, so the, the Flipkart uh, sale is still subject to reg regulatory approval, so the sale is not, not yet completed. But the, uh, the reason why we thought it, it was the right thing to do to, to um, improve uh, our balance sheet is really driven by opportunity. So we saw in classifieds, in food delivery, in, in payments, significant further growth opportunity. We have, we have scale. We're seeing that core business turn, but we don't believe it's the end. We think we can actually strengthen and accelerate the growth in these areas by further, further M&A and investing in, in new businesses that are adjacent. I picked up my Amazon card this week. It would be nice to have been a NASPERS card. A credit card. Are you moving into that area? If Amazon seems to be there now. Your partners in China, uh, WePay, uh, WeChat Pay is, is huge. Uh, is that the next step when you talk about financial services? So we are very um, excited about credit opportunity because what we, we see, for example, in a market like India, um, there are only 30 million credit cards. And you know there's 1.3 billion uh, inhabitants in India. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a card, uh, but actually giving um, people who don't have credit history an opportunity to finance a, a purchase or give them temporary relief on, on credit, we think is it, it, there's a huge demand out there that is actually not satisfied by cards at this point in time. And we both organically as well as inorganically have invested in, in credit, exactly as you say. So you're likely to go into that market uh, aggressively into the future. I'm trying to find out what all this, was it $12 billion that you've got on your balance sheet is going to be used for? So uh, uh, I think credit we see as a big opportunity. In credit, you also want to be deliberate because it's easy to extend a lot of credits and lose a lot of money, which is something we don't particularly like. 
so uh, we, we see the opportunity, we will grow it. Uh, we, for example, invested a substantial amount in a, a company called Credit Tech, in, um, in, uh, headquartered out of Hamburg. Um, we believe in it, and we want to find the right opportunities, and if we find a good return, then we will invest. The way you invest, it's almost like a capital allocator with benefits. Uh, you, you, you want to be involved. When we last spoke on the Flipkart transaction, you said that the reason why you were quite keen to sell out was because with Walmart coming in, you weren't going to be able to be that involved in future. Of the, of the investments that you have today, are you involved in all of them? Yes, we are. Yeah, we, we are um, uh, from early stage to late stage. We uh, we, we always have an, an involvement in the companies. For example, in our ventures business, um, we when we uh, invest in pretty young companies, often we, we will have a board seat and we will also have uh, our team of mobile specialists and search specialists and SEO specialists be available to these companies and they love it. So the fact that you have board representation at Tencent would qualify it on this broader criteria of yours that you need to be involved in the business. Yeah, we, we are a strategic investor in the end. So if we don't uh, have a proximity to the business, then we'd just be a financial investor. Basil, perhaps if we can just clarify that uh, bit of capital allocated with benefits, what kind of returns have you generated on the capital you've invested, keeping Tencent out for a minute? Sure. So... Um, if you look at the current portfolio, it's about 23% IRR. Um, over what period? Over, um, over a period of 10 years. So we've sustained it over a period of 10 years. It's actually accelerated over the last couple of years, particularly as we've identified the food delivery opportunity early. So we've gotten way ahead of, of other investors and are locking in value there. And that excludes Tencent? That excludes Tencent. If you put Tencent in, then it's above 50%. So why are you not getting your message through? Because 23% is even better than Warren Buffett. No, I'm, I must say that, that we are um, we, we're careful capital allocators, right? We, we, we really, I think Basil um, mentioned it uh, when we spoke about earlier, we, when we, for every investment we do, we probably look at 100 that we don't do. And I think that allows us to have the kind of returns on, say, our non-Tencent portfolio that, uh, that Basil mentioned. Um, I think the, and the discount issue that we touched upon is, is driven by structural factors that have very little to do with capital allocation. So that one that you do go for out of the hundred, what does it, ha- what has it got? What, what does the entrepreneur need to show you that you'll back him or her? The, 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 the entrepreneurs we get excited about are people with a vision, with a dream. Um, and they typically think quite big. Um, for example, we've, we've invested in, um, in a company called Swiggy in India, online food delivery. And when you meet Harsha, he has a vision of being able to provide every Indian with a affordable, great meal at any occasion when they may want it. And that's a pretty big deal for a country with 1.3 billion people, but he's getting there. And I think he's building this, this, this hope of transforming the way people, people live. And I think that's the common denominator uh, that we get excited about. So is the... Uh, are there common denominators between him, between the uh, brothers uh, who had Flipkart, between Pony Ma, these great entrepreneurs that you discovered early? Yeah, I, I think actually um, maybe Flipkart is a good example. Actually, Sachin and Bini are not brothers, even though they have the same surname. Um, but in, in 2007, they, they decided we're going to build a great online business where you can buy anything. 
in uh, out of Bangalore. Now, at the time, uh, there was there were people didn't have a credit card at all, or even fewer than I, than what I just mentioned. There were no logistics. Um, there was no credible internet, and these guys said, "This is what people want. This is what we're going to do." And and so that vision and ambition, I think, actually is a common denominator uh, between the founders that we packed over time. And that's also one of one of the things I love about our companies that we're able to support people for the long term. And if they can continue to scale and to grow, we're we're in there with them for uh, for a long time. It's a it's an amazing story actually, Nasper, which has been well documented. But you started off using the newspaper business to invest in pay TV. Then you used the pay T when newspapers declined. You used the pay TV business to invest in the internet, and the internet now. If I read your results correctly, is contributing more to the bottom line than your pay TV. The profitable internet companies, in total, indeed contribute now more than than our pay TV business. So, what's next? Because uh, clearly, pay TV is is in a declining trend, or would one would presume so, given the the international picture. What would be the next big bet or the next big move? So, I think structurally, what you'll see is more profitable internet businesses funding even newer internet businesses. And we see that on a micro scale already. For example, in, in, in our uh, classifieds business, we found a new set of um, adjacent opportunities like LetGo. We're actually you know, using part of the profits of our core business to fund a business like LetGo, which you think, again, will be a, a next wave of growth. Um, the entrepreneur there is quite an interesting story. He is. So, uh, so Alec Oxenford is, um, is the, uh, the, the founder or the co-founder of, uh, of LetGo, and he came to us two years ago with a plan to say, I'm going to change the way uh, Americans in particular uh, trade secondhand goods, and I'm going to win this market. And it's probably the most competitive market out there, and there are lots of players at it, but we've worked with Alec before, and Alec is actually the founder of our OLX business and done a great job there. When he came with a plan and with that vision and with the product vision, we said, we're going to back him. And now it is... Um, it is the second fastest growing app in the United States in any category of any of any app at all in the market. Close to 100 million downloads and 400 million items uh, sold. So he's he's getting there. And you're not scared who you go up against because presumably there you're tackling eBay. Yeah, just, the U.S. market is extremely competitive. So that's a, uh, eBay is a party out there, but there are, there, are, there are plenty of others. And but so far, I have been impressed with uh, with the investment we've given Alec. He's been able to outgrow absolutely everybody, and we'll continue to support him. In the financial services field, um, who are you going to be going up against there? I told you about my Amazon card. Mm. <laughs> I can hear you. You're not too keen to get a Mastercard or a Visa anytime soon, but. Uh, that that's a, a, a market where Nasdaq in the past stayed away from those guys. Now it seems as though you've got the confidence to go head to head. It's a good question. What we've seen is that actually um, there are there are few a few key factors. One is that um, financial services is a quite a fragmented business. So in each country, I think there are strong local players that can be very sustainable because financial systems in countries are specific. And I think it has allowed us to build a PSP business in markets that is incredibly strong, like in India, PSP? which is payment service provider business. Uh, for example, in uh, we we trans um, we process payments in the whole world of about twenty five billion dollars every year in PayU. Almost half of that is in India, where we managed to actually from scratch 
build this position of being the payment processor. And on the back of all the data we, we generate from that, we're now able to offer people credit. So I think there's still enormous value to be built by becoming a strong local play and then expanding that into other uh, sub-segments of fintech. Basil, one of the features of the results, given that uh, NASPACE is such a dominant stock on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, is that your South African share is now down to 16%. Our oh, South African share? The st- oh, the, the, of the revenues, yes. So look, we've, we started on this journey 10, 15 years ago to build a global footprint, and um, it, it continues. So we have 84% of our revenues offshore. And remembering that's excluding Tencent. Yes. No, the, the 84% includes Tencent. Includes Tencent. If you were to take Tencent out of that? If you take Tencent out, then then um, it's about 60% is outside of South Africa and then 40% South Africa because of the sizable video entertainment business in South Africa. So South Africa is still very important and video entertainment as well critical at the moment. Yeah, I think you can't exclude Tencent, right? It's part of the portfolio and it's a sizable asset. But um, yeah, video entertainment is is still growing. We added 1.5 million subscribers this year, so that's a, that's a great outcome in, in a tough macro climate. We've also improved profitability, so we've had to absorb this tough Nigerian, Naira, and Golden Kwanzaa drop, and also the RAND hasn't been doing particularly well. But we've done that well, and we've now reversed two years of declining profitability and started to come out of that, driven by subscriber growth and taking cost out of the business. So managing to compete with Netflix? We, um, we've actually launched our, on our over-the-top product called Showmax, and then we have a great product for our existing customers called DSTV Now. Um, that traction is picking up nicely. We continue to play to our strength, which is our local content, and we're investing quite hard behind that. So you're seeing our investment in local content go up substantially, and we'll continue to do that going forward. Bob, from a, from a South African perspective, uh, with almost 20% of the JSC's all-share index in your stock, it's an incredible responsibility. It is, and I, and I think the um, for us as a group, um, we, we, we generally, I think, are very much focused on creating value going forward. And... Uh, I think what we've been able to demonstrate is we're able to do that uh, with with our e-commerce investments. We're at that inflection point where they're starting to turn profitable, and I think those businesses have a tremendous amount of runway in them, right? So if we continue to deliver, I think we can continue to help that twenty percent uh, over time. It's been an extraordinary. In fact, it'd be nice to do a, a calculation one day of what the JSC All Share Index would have done. Excluding NASPASS, it would certainly have, have performed a lot differently. No, it would look sli- slightly different, and I think um, in, indirectly, I think we're, we're, we're a great contributor to, to, um, to South African shareholders who have uh, invested in, uh, in our shares. There's been a great deal of wealth creation for South Africans, including for pension funds, which, uh, which is incredibly helpful for the country. But on the other hand, there are now more and more critics who are saying it's too exposed. The pension fund portfolios are too exposed to one stock. And, of course, in the wake of what happened at Steinhoff, there's all kinds of questions being asked on all kinds of areas. I know you've, you've seen the criticism of this. How do you respond? Yeah, so, so we are obviously great believers in, uh, in the fact that, uh, that, that our share has potential to very significantly increase o- over time. Um, and uh, again, we, we've I think structurally managed to 
create new valuable businesses. Um, and, and I think one of the things that that gives me a lot of confidence is that fundamentally, if you look where we invest, where we where we place our capital, is on new businesses that are technology based that make people's lives better. And if you look in the, the world, if you take a big step back in the world, five years ago, the top five companies in the world were basically oil companies and banks. If you look at the top five companies in the world now, they're all technology companies. And I think for, and I don't think that that transition um, is slowing. I think it's actually accelerating. So I think for for a, a country like South Africa to have a big stake riding into global technology rise is exactly what it needs. Very fortunate for a small country, but you see global investors now. This is no longer a little South African company. This is a major player in the global scene. When international shareholders come at you and, and pose these kind of questions like why are you listed in South Africa, why don't you give us our 10 cent, or why don't you unbundle 10 cent, and so on and so forth, how is it getting more difficult to answer those questions or easier? No, I, I, maybe two parts of the answer. I think our, our listing at the JSC, I think the JSC is a very well respected respected exchange that I think foreign investors are very comfortable investing in. So I don't think that's a problem at all. I think our concentration is a is an issue uh, because we become so big that some of the shareholders have to sell shares to uh, reduce their limits. So that's an issue that we need to think through solutions about. But foreign investors are very comfortable buying, uh, buying shares on the JSE. I think the, um, um, the question around... Um, the question around Tencent is, is an interesting one. I remember when I started um, in my role, I think the Tencent valuation was close to $100 billion. And I got those questions every day as well. And I think people should be very, very grateful that we didn't sell Tencent or Unbundle because now that the value has gone four and a half X. And Tencent itself, looking ahead, are you still as confident that uh, it, it's got plenty of runway left? So we, we continue to be extremely excited about Tencent. I think uh, it has one of the most capable teams in the world. Uh, the Chinese market is, is by far the largest internet market in the world. And if you look at how quickly they are integrating offline servers into an online ecosystem, again, I think China leads in the world. So you are the biggest market uh, leading in terms of uh, the offline to online transition. And Tencent is very much at the heart of that with the best team in the world, what is not to like. Are you able to learn from that experience and apply it? I, I just see your recent moves in South Africa have been interesting with uh, the merger of Take A Lot and, or the acquisition of Take A Lot to put to Kalahari and now recently with your fashion um, acquisitions. So interestingly, the South African market, we've, we've done a number of investments there that I think, first of all, uh, Kim runs a great business with, with, with Take A Lot made good progress and uh, and I think does a good job at, at doing at delivering good customer service. So I think they deliver quickly, reliably, have great assortment and still the penetration of online retail as a percentage of total retail is about a percent in South Africa, right? In the UK it's 15%, something like that. In China it's getting to, to 15%, probably be the highest in the world in a few years. So I think our bet is that uh, in the end for South Africa this will work as well. And we want to make sure we, 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 we're part of this and we drive it to the, the full potential it has. But in both the UK and in the United States, the online uh, retail market has been supported by a very strong post office, which in South Africa isn't the case. Have you got alternatives to it? Absolutely. So what, what Kim has is, um, is uh, called Mr. Uh, Mr. D. 
which is a I think a franchise structure where independent entrepreneurs can become couriers and and get into that business. And I think they have, in a way, built their own network of of enterprising um, uh, men and women who say, "Hey, look, there's a real need here. Let's uh, let's do this." Basil, on, as far as investments are concerned, I, I'm not sure where I read it, but uh, you back entrepreneurs, as Bob was saying earlier, sometimes from as little as a one million dollars to a billion dollars. Just unpack that. Yes, yeah, so um, we we look right through the investment cycle, and generally the way it works is we start off initially quite small, see that we can add value, that we can help the business. Um, move forward and then as the business starts to scale and as the ambition scales we encourage those founders to look beyond their core countries and beyond their core focus to build bigger platforms and businesses and then we start to up our investment right quite significantly that's how the classified journey started it's how it started in payments um, and it's how it started in food delivery so um, it's, it's the general life cycle that we go through uh, was that a, a learning perhaps from Tencent? Because your initial investment in Tencent is fractional compared with what it's worth today. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think it, it, it shows two things. I think it's a willingness to reinvent ourselves, right? So I think uh, when the company started investing in China, Internet was very early. We started investing in India, Internet it was very early. When we started getting into classifieds it was very early but over time indeed you develop uh, the confidence and you see the potential and that's when you jump in so where to next when we talk in five years time how would you like to look back on NASPERS so I think what what we what we are passionate about doing is creating businesses that really help consumers lives improve and getting them to scale and making them ideally global businesses so again with classifieds we're trying to build uh, we already are the, the largest uh, global classified player, but we would love our... Now I think our, our products are probably used by about a fifth of the world population. I would love that to be half the world's population in five years' time. And Basil, from a, a, a broader perspective of uh, the involvement, you've been with the group, as you said earlier, 20 years. Is Chris Becker, who's now the chairman, still uh, intimately involved? Do you guys still talk to him? Yeah, so we, we engage with our board. The board sets the overall direction we we put together our strategy our plans and we go back to the board and tell them our ideas and they they give us great guidance great input so um every one of our board members is very involved and committed to the business no no but you can't okay. <laughs> of course it's not in any one of your board members is he is he uh, is he the kind of guy that you'd still pick up the phone or does he pick up the Absolutely. phone to you um, i think bob talks to him regularly all the time and um yeah so of course he is <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a loaded question, no, no, but no, no. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, he has been involved. Of course, has been involved right from the outset, and many people are saying that uh, his his influence is still important. Uh, do you? Is your sounding board still? So I think one of the, when when I took on the role, uh, one thing that that Kuz, I think very deliberately did is he took a year off, and in that year I hardly spoke to him three or four times in, in a year. Um, and I think what, what happened in the time, it gave me uh, the opportunity to settle my relationship with the entire board, settle my team. And when Kuz came back from his sabbatical, he's been the chairman. Um, and he's not not involved in another way than being the chairman. I pick up the phone very regularly. He doesn't get into the operation. He doesn't want to. 
Um, and I think that's a very healthy, uh, healthy balance. And the new team is clearly kicking on. You've uh, done a, a great deal with Flipkart. You're getting involved with Swiggy, looking at the Indian market. And uh, is, that the, is that the focus, all these big emerging markets? I think we're, we're looking for, for where technology can drive structural growth. And I think the markets where a lot of the, the excitement is, is in, in, in growth markets. But we've also invested in, in a market like the U.S. when we see an, a, a great growth opportunity. I think we're not so focused necessarily on growth markets, but I do think most of the opportunity will be in Asia, um, in Latin America and Africa over time. seems to me that, that South Africa's retirement funds are in pretty good hands. That was Bob van Dyke and Basil Skordos, the Chief Executive and Chief Financial Officer, respectively, of South Africa's global internet and entertainment group, NASPAS. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.